Well, good morning, Word of Grace. It's good to be with everyone today. In case you don't know who I am, I am Pastor Stephen. I am the media pastor here at Word of Grace, um, and Pastor Derek is on uh, a sabbatical right now, which we are really thankful to be able to send him on that, uh, as he is constantly pouring, 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 pouring out to give him a month to go away and say, hey, you be refilled, 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 so he can come back and continue to freshly pour out um, for all of us, and we're thankful for that. Um, he started off weeks one through four of First Thessalonians. Last week, we took a little pause because we had uh, Ryan Miller with us, and we really wanted to take advantage of his uh, um, frequent using of the arguments for Scripture with that being something we wanted to talk about. So today we're going to dive back into closing 1 Thessalonians, the, the end of the book. We're going to wrap it up today. So um, previously we'd been in chapter 4, and Pastor Derek taught um, on the first half of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, and he didn't finish 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because it starts bleeding into the same things that are talked about a lot in chapter 5. And so it kind of made sense to, for him to just teach that first half, and then I'm going to pick up in the second half of chapter 4, and I'm going to close out chapter 5, uh, because last, last time he was talking about a lot of practical faith things, um, living holy uh, in the culture that we are in that does not encourage holiness, that we are to encourage each other to continue to, to live holy as he is holy. And now Paul turns his topic um, into eternal matters. Today we're going to be talking about living in light of eternity. Now some of the things that Paul talks about is eschatology, which is the study of end times or end things. And so he's going to be talking about um, the second coming of Christ. He's going to be talking about the final resurrection. And I want to just go ahead and give a disclaimer when talking about eschatology. When we read passages like we're about to read, and when we read passages like the book of Revelation or some end-time prophecies that's in Daniel and other places in the Bible, the temptation of what a lot of people do is they try and like bullet list and arrange everything in, in chronological order and try and figure it all out perfectly when it is extremely uh, symbolic. And a lot of people try and perfectly figure out how everything's going to happen and try and nail everything down. And if you didn't know, there are tons of people who believe a ton of different things about the way that the second coming of the Lord is going to roll out because of different passages, some of what we're going to read today. Um, and I, I would encourage you with this, that a lot of times you remember in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospels, when Jesus' disciples were with him, there were several times that he would do something and when he did it, the disciples would go, oh yeah, I remember in the book of Isaiah where it said that, and he just did that, oh. Or I remember when in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, they would sacrifice those lambs, and now Jesus is the sacrifice. He was spotless. He, you know, you start to connect those dots. And so as we look at end times, there are people who are like fighting at each, uh, over stuff that, listen, whether you believe in pre-tribulation rapture or post-tribulation rapture, some people don't even believe that a rapture is actually going to happen. Listen, really, honestly, it doesn't really matter. 
you can be right or wrong on it. What matters is that you believe rightly that Jesus Christ is the way, the only way, that your faith is in Christ, that you are pursuing him. And these things are helpful in some ways that we're going to see. But don't get too hung up on making sure that you got it all perfectly figured out because there's not a person on this earth that does. Okay? So, in light of eternity, let's pray real quick. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to come together as your church family to open your word. I pray, Jesus, you said that it was better for us that you leave because the Father would send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the helper to guide us into all truth. So as we read your scripture, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would do just that. Guide us into all truth. Guard us from error. Um, Guard me from pride as I speak. And let me not enter into thinking that this is about me or trying to impress people with what I say. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak and and bring about change let your will be done today lord in jesus name amen first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 is where we're going to pick up um paul says this but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep and when he says asleep he means dead that you may not grieve as those um as others do who have no hope you've probably heard that verse before if you've been to a funeral Um, this is a verse that's commonly used to say, hey, listen, if you're a Christian, if your loved one died as a Christian, you don't need to grieve the way that the world does when they have no hope. If you don't believe in Christ, if you don't believe in the resurrection, if you don't believe in eternity with the Lord, then death is ultimately the worst thing. Because especially if they're a loved one, it's like they're gone. I'm not going to see them again. And I know most of us, if not all of us, looking around the room have probably seen or felt death closely in some way, in some form, in some relationship, and it hurts. It's hard. I have friends and loved ones and family members. Just earlier this year, my grandfather passed away, and, uh, and it was a very sad thing for me personally, but what an epic celebration his, his memorial was because I don't know a man personally that loved the Lord like my papa. Um, the way that he loves Jesus, you would be around him and you would want to love Jesus more. You would leave and you just go like, man, I I want more of Jesus. And that was just from being with my papa. You couldn't talk to him without him talking about Jesus. You could try and talk about football and he would turn it back to Jesus. Like, and you could try and talk about how good Nanny's cooking was, my grandmother. And he's like, yeah, yeah, she, she is. And I just thank the Lord for blessing her with those. He's going to turn everything back to Jesus. My papa had such an awareness of the Lord and a love for him and a constant awareness of eternity, focusing on, thinking on, living in light of eternity. I'm thankful for that. And because of that, even though I, I was sad when he passed and I miss him, I'm thinking about where he is now, and I better not talk about that because I'm going to start crying and not being able to talk. So we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so 
we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The time that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica, um, they were a relatively young church in a Greek city. And, and so because of that, their faith was very undeveloped. That's why he leads off this next section saying, guys, we don't want you to be uninformed. Because for them, the Greek community in, specific, uh, in particular was very, very um, pessimistic with regards to death. They viewed it very pessimistically, again, as most people who don't know Christ would. And so in this church, they had many brothers and sisters that had just recently died. And we don't have an account of what way or how, but it's probably because of persecution. They were probably killed for their faith. And at this time, it is clear that Paul had already taught them about the second coming of Christ. Now, Paul usually in his missionary journeys would go from city to city, church to church, and he would spend significant amounts of time with them to help teach them the foundations of faith. He would want to make sure that everyone knew what they needed to know. And part of that was the hope of the second coming of Christ. And then beyond that, um, what that looked like, um, eternity with God. And at this particular stop in his journey in Thessalonica, uh, it was probably persecution. He got pushed out. He was only there for three weeks, which is much shorter than he would want to spend somewhere to try and teach people foundational faith in Christianity. So all of that said, they had some concerns because they had brothers and sisters who had recently died and they're grieving. They're grieving, they're mourning because they're like, what happens to them? Like, we know Christ is coming back, and you can see later what Paul tells them. It's clear you already know that, but they're like, what happened to our friends who died before Christ comes back? Because also these people would have expected Christ to come back in their lifetime. So all these people were expecting Christ to return. They were thinking, we're not even going to see death, but wait, our friends died, so what happened to them? Are they like, are they, are they in Sheol, the, the Jewish paradise where that, that there's where the dead people would go in the Old Testament? Are, are they, like, asleep? Are they, like, like what happens to them? Are they going to miss the second coming of Christ? Are they going to be resurrected with us? They had so many questions, so many concerns, and because of that, they were grieving more than believers ought to, to grieve, which is why Paul said, guys, we don't want you to be uninformed. We shouldn't grieve like those who have no hope. And then he goes on to explain, listen, when Christ returns... And the, with the shout of the archangel and the bl blast of the trumpet, when he returns, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are still alive will rise to meet him in the air for his return. And, and so as they were concerned about this, Paul's explaining, you don't need to be concerned. They're not going to miss out. They're not going to um, be asleep. And, and there's another popular belief that comes from this passage that I believe is wrong because of other passages. So we got to take the whole scripture into account. And a lot of people from this passage of what we just read believe in an idea called soul sleep, meaning that when you die before Christ returns, your soul goes to sleep, your body goes to the ground, and those people right now are not conscious. They're eternally asleep until the resurrection. The challenge I would have with that is other passages where... Um, I would encourage an intermediate state, um, where 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about to be present 
or to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In fact, he goes on to say, we would rather be away from the body and be present with the Lord. Another passage in Philippians chapter 1, Paul's writing to the Philippian church, and he said, guys, I'm hard-pressed between these two things. My desire to depart and be with Christ is far better. And then he says, but it's better for you that I stay, that I can continue to help you mature in your faith, continue to help you learn, continue to help you grow. This is a man who's literally telling his brothers and sisters in the Lord, guys, I'm really torn. I'm wrestling with this. I really would rather die. But it's better for you that I stay so I can keep on teaching you and helping solidify your faith and helping you grow and mature and bear fruit that you can start spreading the gospel too. What kind of person says, man, I really just want to die? See, there's someone who's in really, really bad times, and Paul had been in very, very bad times, or it's someone who lives such, lives in light of eternity that they realize this is just temporary, this is not ultimate, this is not the goal. The, the goal is eternity with Christ. That's the great reward. That's what I'm living for. I'm not living for, it's obvious. If you look at Paul's life, he was not concerned about having his best life now. He was not concerned with being comfortable he was not concerned with trying to gather as much money as he could so that he could live his dream, his American dream, or I guess his Roman dream. Or <laughs> he wasn't concerned with trying to make everything best now because he was in some really crummy circumstances over and over and over. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. Like This dude went through all sorts of stuff, and he did it all because he had his eyes on the eternal reward of being with Christ forever. See, in light of eternity, death is but a door. In light of eternity, death is nothing more than a door. Not only a door, but a doorway to our ultimate fulfillment. This is hard for us to imagine, to try and put into our little finite minds the concept of being face-to-face -face with the God of all creation. Like, we can sit here and we can talk about it. We can, I can try and throw as many words out as I can to try and help you get an accurate picture of it, and there's not words for that. That's what we're living for. That's what our life is for. And Paul not only spoke it, he showed it. That is the ultimate goal, the end goal. So all that to say from the, those two passages and many others, I believe that when we die, our bodies do die. They go in the grave, but our spirits are immediately with the Lord in an intermediate state. And then when Christ returns in the second coming, then we get new bodies. We're rejoined with our bodies. The earth is made new. We have a new heaven here on earth. That's what the thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's referring to the second coming of Christ, the earth being made new. In case you're thinking like we're going to be up away in the heavens forever in heaven, heaven actually in eternity is a new earth made new. God redeems and restores all things. He makes all things new. It's not just blow up and destroy the earth. He makes a new earth. God is about redeeming, reconciling, making new and messing or making right and beautiful and wonderful and holy and perfect and better everything that we destroyed and corrupted with sin. God's not just, oh, you messed it up so bad, I guess I'll make another one over here. He's like, you messed it up so bad, but I'm so much better than your mess up. I'm going to make it new and better and awesomer than you could even imagine. That's how God is. 
How could Paul really say, I'm torn between the two? I really want to go ahead and die so I can be with the Lord? And that's selfish of me, I know, because it's better for you so that I can stay and keep helping you grow. He could only say that because of the glorious reality that death is only a door. Think about it. Paul took the one thing that is the most terrifying to most people, death, and he exposed it as the doorway to our greatest reward. Like most people will do anything and everything they can to stave off death as long as they can. Like scientists are doing all the research they can. People are dumping money into all these things to try and make sure they can just live a little longer. Why? People are scared of death. And people are trying to push off death as far as they can. And Paul's like, man, I want out. I'm ready. In fact, when, when he comes to the point where God has revealed to him that he knows he's about to die, he's saying, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I ran well. Oh, guys, can we say that? I hope we can say that. When our end is coming, are we going to say, I fought the good fight? Or are we just going to say, I had a nice house. And I went on some great vacations. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not attacking that. Please don't take it that way. But what's in our hearts daily? Are we living in light of eternity? Do our finances, do our, does our bank account, does our time, does our schedule, does our priorities reflect that we're living in light of eternity? Paul said, I went out because he knew that death was the door to living forever in the presence of of his Savior, his Redeemer, his eternal joy, Jesus. No longer would he have a portion of, his, of God's presence as the Holy Spirit has indwelled all of us. But we would be face to face with God, finally free from the pangs of sin and death and evil and sickness and sorrow and depression and calamity and tragedy. We'll set aside our affliction and in utter elation. Utter elation. More than we can imagine. Beyond comprehension. Relish the presence of God. Without limit. Beholding the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God. Without are restricted, limited, broken vessels of these bodies. We will have new bodies. We will be face to face with the God of all creation. And that is our hope. Our hope is not here and now. We can hope for things here and now, sure. We can pray we can live well here and now. We can steward our finances well now. We can have nice things here and now. But what's in our hearts is your hope in this life being the best. Is your hope in that sickness finally being healed? Is your hope in finally landing that dream job? Is your hope in finally finding that special someone to spend your life with? Those are all great gifts from the Lord, but they are not to be the hope in the heart of the Christian. Our hope 
It's the presence of God for eternity. And that is why we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. It's not wrong to sorrow when you lose a loved one. That's normal. That is a painful, difficult thing. But we don't do it the same way as people who don't know the Lord because for us, it's a see you later. It's not they're gone. It's a see you later. It's difficult. So Paul does a little practical explanation of what will happen upon Christ's return, but it's not intended, again, to give us an exhaustive, detailed breakdown so we can know the steps and processes as much as he wants to comfort and encourage the believers that they are not to grieve as those who do not have hope because their dead brothers and sisters are not going to miss out on a thing. The second coming of Christ will be the most glorious, spectacular event in all of history. And no one's going to miss out. Even the currently dead in Christ, they'll be raised up. Their bodies will be raised. They're present with the Lord right now. Let's continue reading, going on to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 now. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. People people are saying, there is peace and security. Then suddenly, destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep. And right there, when, it, when he says sleep, he's using, a, in our English, it translates the same word sleep, but it was different. He's using a different illustration, sleep here, for being um, morally and spiritually disengaged. He's saying apathy, essentially. He's like, let us not be apathetic. Let us not be casual. Let us not be disengaged, is what he's saying here. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that, we, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That last verse right there, verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing is why no one can say, I don't need to go to church. I have my own relationship with the Lord. You will get discouraged. You will believe bad and wrong things. You will lose hope. We need each other. Don't deceive yourself by thinking that you can do it on your own. Paul told the Corinthians, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. We need each other. Stop lying to yourself if you think you can do it on your own. You need fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. What is Paul saying in this passage? He's saying, in light of eternity, stay ready. Stay ready. Saying, let's not sleep, let's not be morally and spiritually disengaged or living without a consciousness of the coming day. I want, how do we stay ready? I want to do everything I can to stay ever conscious of the coming day and of the far superior weight of eternity compared to the temporary. 
Eternal things weigh far more than the temporary things. The problem is we feel and see and smell and touch and hear the temporal things. We don't have to learn temporal things like we feel as soon as we're born. We see as soon as our eyes open and we taste and, and all these things. We don't have to learn to be aware. We don't have to train ourselves to think temporal. We have to train ourselves to think eternal because we don't see the Spirit or hear the Spirit or feel the Spirit. Maybe as you grow in maturity in your faith, you, you develop more of an awareness of the Spirit and of eternal things, but you have to teach and train yourselves. I need to ask myself, what are the things that help me live in light of eternity, and what are the things that draw my heart towards the temporal? And guys, if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, which is a hard thing to do, we're not going to like the answers to those questions because every single one of us have things in our lives that draw our hearts to here and now. For me, golf. I love golf. It's my favorite hobby. It's my favorite pastime. And I can sit here and obsess and waste hours watching YouTube videos to try and fix my swing so that I can get better at swinging a metal stick at a ball so I could hit it in a hole with less swings. So when I stand before God, am I going to be like, yeah, Lord, I broke 80? <laughs> no. Now, there's nothing wrong with having hobbies and having things that you enjoy. You need refreshment. You need relax. Like, you need Sabbath. You need rest. You need recharging and refilling. But what's in your heart? And, and, and I have to be careful because I can waste time focusing on something so stupid. Like, honestly, it's stupid. It's fun, and I enjoy it. But what is it? Because ultimately, everything in our lives, our jobs, our careers, our dreams, our ambitions, our money, our homes, our retirements, our 401ks, our toys and trinkets, our favorite sports teams, our hobbies, our marriages even, our children, all these things are the things that we just think, oh, if I just had that, or if I could just achieve or accomplish that, or if I just had a little bit more. Let me show you what those things are. You know what this is? A pacifier. It is meant to pacify your true hunger. <laughs> I have an 11-month-old, so my life is inundated with these, and I don't go anywhere without one. <laughs> because I will be saying, come quickly, Lord, please come quickly. <laughs> my 11-month-old daughter, Joey, um, very often will just get upset. She can get bored and get upset. She can get hungry. And what do I do? We give her this to pacify what is her true hunger. I put this, put this in. And for a minute, she's pacified. She is not satisfied. She is pacified. How many times in your life have you thought, if I could just get that, or if I could finally achieve this, 
or if I could finally meet my knight in shining armor, ding, or if I could finally retire, or if I could finally graduate high school. All those things, some of you have enough gray hair to know that all those things you get, and for a little while you're like, Until you're like, wait a minute, I'm still hungry. My daughter did this yesterday on the way to the zoo. They pacify you. All these temporal things for a moment will make you feel happy and make you feel fulfilled and make you feel satisfied and make you feel like the stars aligned and everything is good, and you finally got that thing, whether it's marriage or kids or, or, or your career, it doesn't matter what it is. We have these temporal things that we think, I'm finally, I finally arrived. Until just a little later, you're like, wait a minute, why am I still hungry? C.S. Lewis has a very famous quote, the famous apologist, he said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Doesn't matter how many of these things you try and juggle or whichever one you think is going to be the one that finally makes you happy, they won't. And the conclusion that it ought to bring you to, I wasn't made to be fulfilled and satisfied and completely complete in this world. God gives us his Holy Spirit as a seal, as a measure of his presence in this world that is not the goal. We are pilgrims here. We are passing through. And in a world where we are surrounded, listen guys, we don't live under the danger of hiding in our basements so that we can read this and that we can worship. We come here freely. We're not worried about the police coming in to arrest us and throw us in jail. We're not worried about ISIS coming in and decapitating us because we have faith in Christ. What's the danger in America for Christianity? And let me tell you something. This is more dangerous than ISIS. This is more dangerous than the police around the world or, or in those countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. This is more dangerous because it will make you think as you hop from pacifier to pacifier to pacifier to pacifier, it will make you think that you've got it. And if I just keep moving from pacifier to pacifier, when this one wears off, I'll find another one, or I'll go, well, what's a new hobby? I've mastered this one, or I'm not good at that one. Can't swing a golf club. I'll go over this one, or what's the finally someone, or this marriage isn't fulfilling me like I expected it to. I know, someday we'll have kids. Yay, I've got kids, and I'm finally going to be happy. They're driving me nuts. <laughs> and we go from pacifier to pacifier to pacifier to pacifier, and we will deceive ourselves and make, we'll, we'll shut our eyes to the hunger for eternal filling. It's not wrong to have these things, but what are these things in light of eternity that can be used to glorify God? Our jobs and careers in light of eternity can be mission fields to reach people for Christ and can be funds for the work of the gospel. 
our dreams and ambitions can be eternally focused. How can I reach more people? How can I make an eternal impact? Our money, how can it be used for eternal purposes? Our homes can be used for eternal purposes. I'm going to host a community group, and I'm going to pour into people. I'm going to have people over. I'm going to make a difference in the lives of the people that God has brought into my life. Our retirement, please don't use your retirement to just kick back and just go, oh, this is nice. That's, that's fine, but you ought to be going, God has poured a lot into me, and I've experienced a lot. How can I invest that into the generation that is to follow? Please don't just use your retirement just for pleasure. You don't want to use the last stage of your life. It's like, it's like, you got a tape measure here. And let's just pretend this is your life. This represents your life. Now, this goes to 120 inches, which could be coincidental and ironic that the Bible says that a number, 120 years will be the end of man, but it goes to 120. Let's just be real. Like, how many of us know many people that get past 100? Not very many. So, like, here's the average, and let's be honest, you know, it's kind of probably more like average around 80 even. Last year, I, uh, I was witness to someone at 60. Maybe you've been unfortunate enough to experience even closer than that, shorter than that. And as every day goes on, for me, I'm 34, so let's see, where's here, 34, that's already gone. And if I live to 80 or 60, that's all I've got left, and it's even dangerous and foolish of me to assume that I've got this left, because it could be this, and I don't even know it. That's why the message here is stay ready. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable. He tells a story of these ten virgins. There was five, and five wise and five foolish. And the five wise virgins, they stayed awake. They stayed alert. They kept waiting for the bridegroom to come. And then there were five foolish ones who were just living it up, enjoying, not really focused on the time at hand. And when the bridegroom came, they had no oil in their lamps. And like, give us some of yours. And the wise virgins are like, uh, no, we're not going to miss out. You need to go into the marketplace and get your own. And they're like, oh, okay. They go out and try and get their own. And by the time they come back, the bridegroom has already met with the virgins. And everyone has entered into the marriage feast. And the five foolish ones were not ready. And they missed it. And they came and banged on the door saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. And to them, he said, I don't know you. They weren't ready. Stay ready, stay ready, and don't let these things pull you away from staying ready. They're just pacifiers. At the end of it all, it's all going to burn. You're not taking those pacifiers with you to heaven, not even your marriage. I don't want to bust your bubble, but Jesus said, in eternity, we're not going to be married and for us, that's, that's really sad, right? Like, I love my wife, and I don't like the idea of that. But when you get there, you will not care. Amen. Because you're going to be in the presence of God, and there is nothing that compares to that. We don't like that here and now, thinking about that. It bur bursts our emotional, sympathetic bubble. Our sentimental bubble, I mean. But in eternity, you will not care about anything because you'll be face-to-face -face with God, and it will be more than anything you could have ever wanted. I think it's funny, Jim Carrey, most of you probably know, he's a 
famous comedian actor. He said one time, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. This is a man whose net worth is estimated to be around $150 million, can probably do whatever he wants, has had marriage. The, you want to go to the Bible? There's a book in the Bible in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. Song of Sol or King Solomon wrote that book. Man who was wealthier than anyone who existed, the man who had done it all, tried it all, had it all, and for 12 chapters goes, eh, it's all meaningless. Because I worked hard for all of it, and I achieved, and I attained, and I tried pleasure, I tried sex, I tried, I have money, I've accomplished everything, and it's meaningless. Because I'm going to just hand it off to someone else when I die, so don't waste your life on pacifiers. First Thessalonians, we'll keep on reading in chapter 5. That is to say, stay ready. Verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, are you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. This is a guy talking to some people in rough situations and hard situations and persecution, fearing for their lives, and he's saying, rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. Pray without ceasing. And he goes on to say, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every evil. I'll pause right there really quickly to just say it seems like the Thessalonian church was in the opposite ditch of the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was, was trying too hard to be emphatic of charismatic spiritual gifts. The Thessalonian church was trying too hard to go, uh-uh, no charismatic, no spiritual gifts. That stuff's weird. We don't want to have anything to do with it. And God's calling us back to the middle of the road. Paul's saying, hey, you guys, remember, decently and in order, glorify God, edify the body. Don't make this about yourself. The greatest gift is love. Remember that. And then over here, in case you're thinking none of that stuff, don't despise that. It's good. It's of God. He will use it, but test it. Test it and make sure that it doesn't conflict with the word of God. Having said that, he goes on, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This final section we had just read, stay ready. This next section that we just read is, in light of eternity, be faithful. That is the overwhelming repetitive declaration of Paul's letter to the churches. It is, 
Stay ready and be faithful. Stay ready and be faithful. Stay ready and be faithful. If you read Matthew chapter 25, where that parable of the ten virgins is, the next part right after that in Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents, where after God's saying, stay ready, don't be like the foolish virgins who weren't ready, he goes on to tell the parable of the talents where he says, and be faithful with what I have given you. He gave different people different measures of things. And when he came back, he looked at what everyone had done. And someone did nothing what was given to him because he was scared, didn't know what to do with it. And to that person, he said, you're cursed. Why didn't you at least do something with it where it would gain interest? Jamie taught on this not long ago. And then to the others who did something with what the master gave them, he said, welcome, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. So, your time your money, your relationships, your possessions. What are you going to do with what God has given you? What are you going to do with this? Are you going to just live it up? Hop from pacifier to pacifier to pacifier, living for temporal things? Are you going to be like the wise servants who said, okay, My master gave me this for a reason. This isn't much, but what can I do with it? What can I do with this that God has given me? There's nothing wrong with things, guys. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. It's just wrong when it gets into your heart to where that's what you live for. And what we don't realize is that we actually live in the most dangerous country in the world to be a Christian. We don't have to be faced with whether or not we're willing to die for our faith, and therefore it's easy to not have a real faith and go through the motions and go to church and say the nice Christian things and go to community group and do all those little spiritual check marks. It's dangerous because you cannot have a real faith in America and never give account for it until the end of your life when you're standing before God. It's actually a good thing for you (laughs) to have a gun to your head. I hope none of us ever have to see that, but I hope we will evaluate and ask ourselves, do we have an authentic faith? Like if I'm gone now, if my tape measure is cut now, am I ready? If Christ comes now and that trumpet blasts now, am I ready? And if it's not now, if it's 10, 20, 30, 40, however many more years, am I being faithful Am I keeping those pacifiers in check and being mindful that they're not satisfying my eternal longing as a pilgrim in this world? We are called to live in light of eternity. We have to do things to try and help set our focus on eternal things. You will forget eternal unless you are intentional to focus on it and remind yourself of it over and over and over and over. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for all that you have done to reconcile us to you. I pray today that your Holy Spirit has opened eyes and would open eyes. If there is anyone here who is not in right relationship with you, that you would expose them and to that truth. Let them be honest with themselves. That if there's anyone among us that is not in right relationship with you, 
that you would help them see their need for you, help them be honest with themselves about their position, and help them repent of their sins. Help them cry out to you as Savior, cling to you, and put their faith in you. And God, for those of us who are saved, who are your children, I pray that you would help us to be on guard from deception of the enemy, the seduction of the temporal world we live in that would try and seduce us away from you, from all the things at our fingertips that would tell us, I'll make you happy. I will satisfy you. I will fulfill you. God, help us to resist those lies and see them for what they are. God, all the good things that you have given us, I pray that you would help us to glorify you with them and help keep our hearts in the right place to honor you with all that you've given us. And if ever a thing comes into our lives or in our hearts that would seduce us away from you and draw our affections away from you and help us to think or cause us to think more on temporal than eternal, I pray that you would check us, our hearts, expose it to us, reveal it to us, and help us have the courage and the grace to go get out of my life or, 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 or re, replace it in the, in the proper priority or position. Help us, Lord, to focus on eternity because it is eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.